Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. The fourth Mission Impossible. <laughs> okay, yeah, you'll have to preface that. Um, how many Mission Impossibles have you seen? I have seen one. Just the one. Just the one. The, the first one. The original. What did you think of it? I loved it at the time. Yes. I loved it so much. It did feel a little dated, but in a very pleasant way. So wait, when did you see it? Um, I don't know, maybe like a year or two ago. Oh, so it's been recent. Oh, I yeah. mean, it's definitely dated because yeah. it was like <laughs> 1996. We made fun of that like because I had a friend of mine watch it. Um, actually, one of my coworkers, who's also a friend, um, <laughs> watch it for the podcast. And she's 24, was like barely alive in 1996. And so for her, it was like floppy disks. Like all like the technology is so dated. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, but you really liked it. So that's good. So you at least like the character of Ethan Hunt. Well, I will tell nice. you that a lot happens in two and three that you have missed oh. out on. <laughs> but they're kind of standalones like it's actually interesting so this is actually one of my trivia facts for the episode was that tom cruise actually really liked that they got away from the numbering of the mission impossibles oh yeah so the first one's mission impossible normal and then it's mission impossible 2 and then it's mission impossible 3 and then this is the first one where they actually gave it like a subtitle mm -hmm. um and they've all been like that afterwards and the reason he did that because he said that he liked he said they felt like standalone movies and so he didn't like the numbering system right so this one's called mission impossible ghost protocol it came out in 2011 just to give you some context so mm. it's nine years old now based on the first movie that you saw the first mission impossible what do you think this movie is going to be about well my only clue thus far is the name of the cocktail that we are drinking yes which i happen to know is a white russian it's true so there's probably going to be some russian espionage yes maybe a certain person who is white <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I, I don't know if i got that maybe honestly i don't remember okay that might be a reach um okay <laughs> or perhaps it could take place in like the tundra of russia there's a lot of snow yeah or that's a good guess ghost might be white ghost i'm not protocol. sure <laughs> it is true actually honestly i didn't think of that but it is kind of a play on like i will concede that there is russian-ness involved in the movie okay um there's a big set piece that takes place in russia hmm. um but i didn't think about the fact that the white russian is white and that <laughs> ghosts are also white i don't know i mean i don't want to say that a lot of russians are white but i mean that is like actually accurate a though. thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean they don't call it a white russian for nothing right um but okay so that is accurate do you have any thoughts about what you think happens in the plot Ooh, I feel like he's always getting betrayed. Um, well, actually, I, I say always. I've only seen the one, but I, mean, I feel like... <laughs> he's always getting betrayed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I feel like in a lot of spy-type movies, I mean, it's typical for somebody to get betrayed. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets double-crossed by somebody. Oh, yeah. It's true. I also can't remember if this is the one where he does that killer skyscraper stunt. I cannot recall. Like, I know that he does that in one of his movies, and it's, like, just infamous, and I do always think about that scene. Okay. I feel like it's this one. If Have you so, seen that scene? 
I've seen like clips of that. Yeah. Scene. Yeah. Just how insane it is. And I know he does all of his own stunts. So yes. it's like, I hope that it's in this movie. I would love to see it in context. Yes. But I don't really know. Well, you'll just have to find <laughs> out. Are you big into action movies? Do you like action movies? I do. I really like action movies. Do you like the spy genre? I love the spy genre. Okay. Yes. So you're in for a real treat. Mm-hmm. Well, there's really only one way for us to find out and that's for us to watch it. Okay. That's a big part. So we got to make us you know i don't know we'll decide when we're gonna drink our cocktails but we're gonna drink our cocktails we're gonna watch mission impossible ghost protocol yes and we just gotta dive in because otherwise like we could just sit here and chat about it forever what we think it's gonna be (laughs) so let's go ahead and do that let's dive in calm check we're live target acquired the hell is that Abort. Ethan, what happened in the Kremlin? It was a setup. The Russians are classifying this as an undeclared act of war. The blame points to you and your team. The president has initiated ghost protocol. The entire IMF has been disavowed. So what happens now? Your mission, should you choose to accept it. The secretary is dead. The four of us are all that remains of the IMF. No safe house, no support or extraction. Everyone connected with this man is an asset with valuable information. We come back with our target, or we don't come back. And uh, how do you propose that we do that? We take him out. Yeah, we take him out, but you know, discreetly. Discreetly. This operation is over before it even begins. Would you care to explain yourself, Brandt? Who are you, really? We all have our secrets, don't we, Ethan? Okay, this is a slight wrinkle. We're gonna have to go into the server room from the outside. We? I'm, I'm on the computer. All right, how you doing over there, champ? I'm great. Yes. Yes. Our cocktail was very strong. Yes. For this episode, but I'm feeling all right. We had a lot of food, so <laughs> we did. That was good. Yeah. Um, all right, episode 20, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Mm. Welcome to the podcast. My guest for this episode, Melissa Beal. Woo, woo. I know, I feel like I need to have like a round of applause or something. <laughs> um, the solitary applause. It's true. <laughs> I've known, I've actually known Melissa for a long time. I've known you for a long time. It's weird how long we have known each other. I know, right? Yeah. I did your wedding video. Oh, God. <laughs> many moons ago. What year did you get married? Oh, oh my, well, technically 2010. Well, it was New Year's Day. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we drove. <laughs> I remember that year, because Andrea came, was it Andrea and Nikki? Is it the three of us that came down? Oh my gosh, it's really, really bad. I don't know. I think it was. <laughs> that whole day is like a very blur. Yeah. So yeah. you guys got married in Gallenberg. Yes. And I 
Andrea and Nikki and I had hung out New Year's Eve the night before. <laughs> and then, of course, because you stay up till midnight. Right. Because, you know, New Year's Eve. And we got up at like five o'clock in the morning and drove to Gatlinburg to come to your <laughs> wedding. And I filmed it. Um, and I believe... I think they were just guests. So of the three, I was most notable. <laughs> yes, um, I remember you being there. <laughs> no slam on Andrea or Nikki. Um, oh, I feel really bad. Now. Yes. Um, no, it was like 2000. This was 10 years ago. It was. Oh my gosh. So you had your 10 year anniversary this year. Yes. Well, that's exciting. We, we've been joking that I was a child bride because I just feel like now I meet 21 year olds and I'm like, oh my gosh. You who should would, not get married Yeah, right who now. would let you get married? But apparently I got married. So. What is wrong with you? Um, that's hilarious all right and i met you through jaybo most likely i meet most people through (laughs) i know i think so who's infamous (laughs) episode three of the podcast interview with the vampire um so literally everybody's just connected loosely in my podcast Mm -hmm. they all know well i guess technically they're all connected through me but instead of kevin um, bacon it's jaybo that's right six degrees of justin (laughs) bow but i picked melissa for this well i wanted to have you on the podcast so i have to tell you this because i don't think i told you this when i asked you to be on it because this was kind of last minute i was like hey what are you doing next week (laughs) because i had reached out to melissa so Melissa and her husband, Justin, you guys started the movie trivia company. Yes. With friends. Oh yeah. Uh, sort of. We're not exclusively movie trivia, but that is my favorite type to write. Yes. Okay. So, oh, that's right. They do trivia, but Mm -hmm. we hired them to do movie trivia Mm -hmm. for our Kona ice convention. And so we hadn't talked in years. Yeah. And I literally was like, I think they run Queen City trivia. I was like, I'm going to reach out to her because I was like, we need somebody to do movie trivia. I was like, I don't want to be responsible for this convention. I got too much going on. (laughs) And um, so I reached out to her. We grabbed dinner. And that's when I found out that, well, not, I mean, you love movie trivia. So that's part of it. But you also teach a cinema class. Yes. So you're a high school teacher. Yes. You teach English. I do. And, but then you also teach an elective, I'm assuming Mm -hmm. that's cinema. Yes. So as we were talking, we met for dinner. That would have been what, like December, January of Mm -hmm. this last, this last December, January. Um, and that's when I found out you were teaching a cinema class and I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, I had no idea that you were so into movies. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I, I had already started the podcast Obviously, it came out, started in October. I'm way behind on where I should have been. Um, <laughs> but I was like, I should have Melissa on the podcast because you, it's rare that you meet people that can just talk movies. I can talk movies. Yes. Yes. And that's why you're on the podcast. <laughs> um, and so I was like, I got to call Melissa. And then I literally was like, I was trying to like get my crap together last week of like, I need to start planning out the next few episodes. I try to do them in like, bits of five Mm -hmm. just to try and get my my ducks in a row and I was like I should reach out to Melissa and she graciously agreed (laughs) um to come be on the podcast and you I said I was like hey random question um have you seen any of the Mission Impossibles and do you want to be on my podcast (laughs) she was like it was a very quick reply right it it really (laughs) really was I was like I don't even think I got the text all the way through um (laughs) And so I, uh, it's like, I pick people for certain movies. I thought you would appreciate this as somebody who loves movies. It's a very like, it's a very big movie. Yes. Like there's a (laughs) A lot lot to chew on. Yes. (laughs) A lot going on. And like you said in the beginning, you've seen the first one, Mm -hmm. um, but maybe, you know, haven't seen any of the other Mission Impossible movies. Does it make you want to see the other ones? It really does. Especially the one immediately following this. Okay. So the one immediately following this is my favorite one of the whole franchise. So five which is called Rogue Nation, is like the best. Five and six are arguably the best movie. Now, not always. What's the one that came out most recently? 
Fallout. That's the sixth one. Okay, yes. I've heard great things about that. That one is actually, I have, I recently watched it again just because I wanted to. Yeah. And I'm like, man, it's good. <laughs> it's so good. Honestly, like the only reason that I put Rogue Nation above Fallout, so mm-hmm. the fifth one before the sixth one, is that it's literally like Christopher McQuarrie like crawled inside my head and was like, what kind of movie do you want? <laughs> and he gave it to me in Rogue Nation. So it's like probably not the actual best of the series, but for me, it's my favorite. But Fallout is like, that's the one where he did the crazy like Halo stunt, like the mm-hmm. Halo jump. Yeah. He's nuts. And as you, you got to see the right. sky, you got I to see did. the skyscraper stunt in context. <laughs> I was so glad you said that. I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, she's going to be so shy. <laughs> so we'll get to that in a little bit. But, um, the director of this movie is Brad Bird, who directed such classics as The Incredibles and oh. Ratatouille. Oh. So fun fact, this was his live action directorial debut. Wow. So imagine having done Incredibles and Ratatouille and done all this stuff for Pixar. And then like Tom Cruise and J.J. Abrams actually, because J.J. Abrams did the third Mission Impossible. Yeah. And his production company produced the rest of the Mission Impossible movies. So he's still like involved, but he didn't direct any of the other ones. But imagine them being like, so how do you feel about taking on a film in the Mission Impossible franchise when you've <laughs> never directed something live action? And then to direct a movie like this that has such huge sequences right. that are nuts. That like a lot of the camera work is crazy good considering he's never directed a live action movie. Absolutely. If I am a, if I'm Tom Cruise and I'm doing my own stunts, it's like, you're going to um, give me a director that has um, only been in charge of cartoons to this point. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but they were really impressed by it. And yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm like, yeah. So he, they, they had him sign on. They, I think he did an incredible job. He's oh, yeah. gone on to direct obviously more stuff. Um, the budget for his movie was 145 million estimated. Modest. Um, I know. I think this is before fallout came out to so the last mission impossible i think this was the highest grossing mission impossible movie mm-hmm. so it made over 200 million in the u.s and 694 million worldwide Oof. that's a big movie mm-hmm. before i go into the rotten tomatoes critics and audience score on a scale of one to ten what would you give it Ooh, that's hard um i don't know that i've ever sat down and rated a movie one I to know. ten before right um you know what i'm gonna go ahead and give it a solid eight. Solid eight. But probably a few decimal points more than that. So like an 8.3. Yes. Maybe a <laughs> point three. <laughs> maybe Perhaps. Point three or a point four. Yeah. It has to be above an eight because it has a great action sequences, obviously. But I thought the plot was very, very good. Yeah. It's very like, there's some good twists in it. Yeah. I would probably put it at around an eight. There's a lot of people who are fans of the franchise who would put this as their favorite. Yeah. I feel like there are a few things about it i don't think paula Patton's a great actress that's just like my it bothers me every time i watch this she's great as the action chick right like i'm like totally believable i believe her in that role but Mm -hmm. i'm like i just don't think that you're there's just like some scenes where i'm like i feel like you're overacting right now and it's not terrible like it's not and part of it's like i'm super nitpicky i've seen this movie a million times like the mission impossible (laughs) franchise is like probably one of my favorites I like got up in the middle of the movie. I was like over there making cocktails and oh, she's probably like, is she missing stuff? And I'm like, no, I've seen this a million times. I could probably, I could see it in my head right now. Um, and, uh, so there's a few things that bother me about it, but for the most part, and I actually like when I used to rank the mission impossibles, this was always like 
towards the bottom. I actually used to put it. So the second one is like notoriously the worst one. Okay. Of the franchise. Oh. There are some people that would argue that. <laughs> um, but I always put it near the bottom with two. Because I was just kind of like, eh. Like, it's got some great stunts. Obviously, like, the whole Burj Khalifa, like, scene is, like, insane. <laughs> um, and then I watched it again recently. And I was like, you know what? It's actually pretty good. Like, it's up there. Like, it's, it is it is pretty good. So this is interesting. So the tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the critic score, 94%. Ooh. I actually believe that, though, because action movies traditionally do have something for everybody yes and this is one of those i mean especially at the end where you, you kind of get in your feels a little bit yeah. you're like man like this this hits all types of emotions yeah yeah and they do like a good job so that's what i was trying to explain to her because melissa hasn't seen the third movie which the third movie <laughs> is like the third the way, best way to describe it without like spoiling it for you is like what if ethan hunt was a civilian mm. instead of a super spy kind of thing like you know what I mean like it's like him kind of like trying to get away from the spy life like he meets a girl he settles down he wants mm. to get married but like the spy life keeps like pulling him in right did you ever watch alias I did I Were saw you? I saw your collection and I was like I love it that she is so obsessed with alias yes I I watched that for I don't remember how many seasons there were but five five yeah I watched it for a while I don't think I ever made it to the end if but. there was an alias trivia I <laughs> would crush it you um, might be the only person it's playing, true though. Like, guys I need you to do an alias trivia night and I'm the only person that shows up just for you actually yeah, I know I'm like just think of as many questions as you possibly can about alias. <laughs> um but so J.J. Abrams obviously did Alias, and so he did the third Mission Impossible, and he pulled a lot from the the core of Alias, which was like, how do you live a double life? Mm. Like, how do you be a civilian and a normal person and also a spy? And so they key in on that like pretty early on in the movie where they he kind of like mentions his wife, and then like they kind of brush past it. Like she's like he's like, oh well, she's gone. And so it was interesting, like they made a huge pivot in the third Mission Impossible to like really give you a like an emotional core to Ethan Hunt. So like you said, like they hit you in the feels kind of at the end. That's literally like the entire third movie. You're like, oh, my gosh, like it's very it's the most emotional of like the Mission Impossibles because it's just like there's like personal stakes involved. Right. Mm -hmm. So that kind of stuff at the end of this movie kind of like harkens back to the third one, like is pulling back from that storyline and stuff like that. Uh, but for the most part, it's pretty standalone. Like you came in, you didn't know much about it, but mm -hmm. it's not, you weren't lost. No. Like you can follow the story. Like every mission impossible is its own mission. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's got its own like group of characters and things like that. The audience score for this was a 76%. So we were close. Eight It's pretty mm -hmm. on par with that. I mentioned our drink for the episode. Um, <laughs> it is a white Russian because a lot of it takes place in Russia. There's a lot of it Russians does. in this movie. But I was also so sad that there was not any Russian tundra. I know. <laughs> like, you're like, where's the snow? I know. I was like, maybe there will be a lot of snow. And actually, there was a desert and a sandstorm. Yeah, it so. was the opposite of snow. Wow. Um, <laughs> but I actually like I looked up something online. It's a, it actually I wanted a little twist to it because I didn't want to do just like a regular white Russian. <laughs> so it's a salted caramel white oh. Russian. So there's a little layer of caramel at the bottom. Um, but it's got all the ingredients of a regular white Russian. It's got vodka, Kahlua, cream. Um, and then you add in the caramel sauce. Um, 
Ooh, and that one. girl is salty about her guy getting killed. <laughs> yes, she is. Ooh, nice tie-in. I know. I like it. So yeah, so that actually leads us into the the summary of the movie. That was great segue, Melissa. Oh yeah, I did that on purpose. Um, but so the movie opens up with somebody who's actually not Ethan Hunt. It's, yeah, it's Josh Holloway from lost fame mm. were you a lost fan i wasn't i feel like i should be it has all the things that i know i would like but really i i heard so much about the ending oh and how like yeah yeah that like it was like by the time i was gonna pick it up people had already told me not to they're so. like listen don't give into it right. so <laughs> i've never i've never seen lost okay but anyways it opens up with josh holloway um as an agent and there's obviously like a mission going on we're kind of in the middle of the mission and he has this like he's like finally gotten away he's got this little like tote bag with the documents in it whatever <laughs> it is and he like comes down and then he like turns a corner and he gets this like notification on his phone and he looks down and it's this woman's picture and when he looks up that woman is in front of him and she shoots him a bunch of times fun fact leia sadu who it plays that woman the assassin is a bond girl Okay, let's talk about this because I actually wrote down that this assassin looks like every assassin ever because I must have seen her like in a different movie where I'm like Spectre are you a Bond fan apparently I am because I recognized (laughs) her and I was like why does she remind me of every woman spy out there yeah she's like she's in she might be in is she in Skyfall she might she be. Must a, be. She yeah. might be in a little bit. I think she's in the latest two Bond movies, um, but those would have come after this. So yeah. this was her first. So really, Bond stole her. She was a mission girl, and before <laughs> she was a Bond girl. But so she shoots him, takes the documents because she's a good assassin, and leaves, and you know whatever. And we kind of come back to that later. But basically, you find out that Jane Carter, who is played by Paula Patton, was on that. It was her mission. Like, she set it up and Josh Holloway was... Mm. I forget his character's name. Um, I just... It was his... His code name was Bobcat. <laughs> I caught that because I was like, well... Bobcat. Yeah. Yeah, they had, some, had a different code name. <laughs> they had some weird... Yeah. <laughs> I think in one of the missions, her code name is Venus. And I'm like... Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It was in this one. I noticed that. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. I think I'd come up with something cooler. <laughs> um, but you find out in flashbacks that basically, like, it was her mission. It got botched. He died because of it. And the it was the added caveat that they were dating. <laughs> yes. So she definitely was out for blood. So mm. she was like she's like on the hunt for this like assassin chick, but she's like a good guy. So she's not like hunting her down, but Mm -hmm. like when the opportunity presents itself, she's like, yeah, I'm gonna fight this girl. Right. And I have to say, maybe I missed this part of the movie, but the whole movie I was waiting for, I was waiting to find out what did he say to her as he was dying. Oh yeah. Because they make a big deal out of the fact that, you know he had just enough time to like whisper something to her it's true like she says like she's like yeah and he she kept him alive just enough time for him to say goodbye yeah and then it's like he whispers something but do we ever find that i don't think so okay maybe we're just supposed to maybe it's supposed to be personal like between the two of them yeah maybe maybe it's or he whispered something about the mission (laughs) maybe that or like i saved 15 percent on Geico every month or something. <laughs> I don't know. Like Honey, before I die, switch to Geico. <laughs> it just seems like something that would like come up. Right yes, before you, <laughs> you would think. So that that whole incident leads to them breaking Ethan Hunt out of a Russian prison. Yes. 
which I think is one of my, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of sequences or set pieces that I love in the Mission Impossible franchise. Mm -hmm. But I, I literally wrote down, I was like, I love, I said, I love the escape from the prison sequence. Um, it's one of my favorites because it's smart and savvy mm. and hilarious <laughs> and features a Frank Sinatra song, <laughs> right. which I love. And it's ain't that a kick in the head, which is hilarious mm. because there's a bunch of people beating each other up. Mm. So they go to break him out of prison. He was not supposed he wasn't expecting to be broken out of prison. And basically when they finally get him out, they he's like, why am I here? And it's basically like, well, these these documents are out in the open now and we we need help. Mm. Um, and so they go after Ethan Hunt and basically like the rest of the movie is them. There's a lot of like twists and stuff, but basically it's these nuclear codes. I always mm. feel like it's nuclear codes. It's always that <laughs> or like some list of aliases of like every, you know, agent on the planet. Like it's always something like that. Something I don't understand. Yeah. Like I'm always like, it's always the nuclear codes. Um, And so they have to like, basically like they got to hunt down, they got to find the documents, which where do they go from there? Uh, well, they started in Budapest, then they went to Russia. And oh, then... that's where they got to go to the Kremlin. That's where the yeah, Kremlin yeah, sequence yeah. is. So that was my big, like when I came up with the white Russian, cause I was like, oh yeah, that's, this is the one where they blow up the Kremlin <laughs> like on accident. Well, yeah. he doesn't blow it up, which I actually thought like in hindsight, did you see that big explosion in R- Beirut? That was what I thought of. I was like, oh my gosh, and was then, this an inside job? Right. Yeah. Well, and then it's like, um, you know, in the movie, they're talking about how like they tell the general public one thing but it's clearly something else and it's like you know right now there's all these conspiracy theorists talking about how like clearly that's not an arms explosion underground yeah what did they say it was like six years of nuclear waste that was like bound to explode yeah like which means very little to me yeah i'm like okay i'm like i don't believe that (laughs) yeah so they go to the kremlin because they gotta get these documents back and that's when they realize something else is going on they Mm -hmm. have these like that's actually a cool sequence with the invisible screen i loved that wasn't that cool that was like i actually started thinking like does our government maybe get some ideas from some of these movies because like (laughs) that's a great idea yeah like whoever dreamt that up like (laughs) i mean let's let's get that that's hilarious yeah um and so there's a fun mission where they're breaking into the Kremlin. They like uh, Tom Cruise has to dress up. Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt has to dress up as a Russian general mm. and Benji's his little sidekick and Benji on the mission. So the big deal in the third movie is that Benji is like a tech guy. He's not in the field. Mm-hmm. So he's back at the headquarters, like on the phone with the, with the agents, like helping them out from there. And he's always wanted to be a field agent. So for him to be in the field in this movie is like a big deal. Aww. So that mission at the criminal where he's like super chatty and he's like, stop talking. <laughs> and he's like, and I'm sorry. Like, his face like scans across the, you know, the, the shield yes. in the arms room. Yes. <laughs> so great poor Benji um but I love Benji the character so Simon Pegg obviously plays Benji and he's introduced in the third movie and he's actually been in three four five and six so he's like a reoccurring character he's like one of my favorites (laughs) um and I actually think I was actually thinking during this movie like this might be the funniest Mission Impossible like (laughs) there's a lot of like comedy right like just like some levity you know Mm -hmm. and some of the the stuff that gets said um and so the Kremlin sequence, basically, like, when they, they finally get to this, like, area with the documents, they realize that they're already gone, and they can hear communique over the comms from another team that's in the building. Mm. So they abort the mission, 
and are exiting the Kremlin and it follows Ethan Hunt. And I think what is one of the coolest character moments of the whole series is when he switches from that Russian general to an American tourist yes. in like five seconds. Yes. And it's all practical. Yes. Like he pulls off all like the mustache, the hair, like the hat. He like flips the jacket inside out. He's got like a Bruce Springsteen t-shirt on. He puts <laughs> the sunglasses on. He looks like he's got like tickets or something. It's a really cool practical moment. That wardrobe change itself was a stunt. Yes. So it's like, you know, he does these, you know, crazy stunts, obviously. But yeah. it's like, man, him doing that was crazy difficult know. and calculated. Yeah. But and I he makes actually, it look so easy and smooth. Like he's just like, whatever, I'm changing. Yeah. What a dream. He yeah. totally. <laughs> I noticed that, like, this might be the one time that we ever get to see Tom Cruise aged. I yes. mean, I don't know because I haven't seen, you know, a lot of his other movies. Oh, you but, mean when he's in the getup? Yes. Yes. Yeah. When he was Fyodor, whatever his name was, when he was the Russian general, yes. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a rare glimpse into Tom Cruise if he ever actually ages. If he ever actually ages, if Scientology will allow. Yeah. I mean, what was probably like a 50 year old man in the movie is like a 95 year old Tom Cruise probably. Yeah. But yeah, he, yeah, it's probably accurate. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> what like, he's like, oh, it's just insulting to the rest of us. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's an it's a really interesting mission. It's the I I don't know. I think it might be the only time I'm trying to rack my brain. Gosh, for how many times I've seen these movies, you'd think I would know this answer. It might be the only time he's in disguise but not in a mask. Oh, right. Right. Because like you said, like it's him aged. Like it's not like him and like cuz Benji makes a joke about it. He's like, "I wish we were in masks." <laughs> like he's like so excited to be like on this mission. He's like, "Wouldn't it be so cool if we were in masks?" <laughs> like it is just like hilarious. But that sequence is like it's got its own merits. There's a sequence in the third movie where they break into the Vatican, which is reminds me this very much like harkens back to that like that sequence in that movie. It's a lot longer in the third movie. There's a lot more like moving parts and just like the whole scene just like lasts longer than the than the Kremlin sequence, but it is very, very similar. As he's exiting the Kremlin, the Kremlin just explodes <laughs> behind him. Right. And he's like running in typical Tom Cruise fashion, running. Mm. He starts running away from the Kremlin. It explodes. He is knocked out and wakes up in a hospital and people are after him. Shocker. So he tries to escape, which I think this is one of the funniest scenes. He like climbs out onto like a window ledge <laughs> and he's like looking down and like the bad guy just like smoking a cigarette at the window. He's like, he looks at him. He's like, this was smarter. This seems smarter a few minutes ago. It seemed like a better idea a few minutes ago. And so he thinks he's going to like get him to come back in the building. Hmm. And this like moving truck like starts moving and he jumps from the freaking ledge onto the top of this moving truck. It looks so painful. Like he just like smacks it and then rolls off and hits the ground. And you're like, oh my gosh. Um, but there was one part of that sequence in the hospital when he's first coming to that I thought was brilliant. I've never seen it done in another movie, but I'm sure it's been done. So I'm sure it's not the first time it's happened. But as he's coming to, there's a Russian television playing. Mm. Like a Russian channel on this television playing about the news of the Kremlin exploding and when he's coming to, the subtitles are in Russian. I did notice that. And then you notice as he starts coming more to, mm. it starts randomly converting to English. And I love that because it's such a subtle, brilliant thing of like, 
I'm awake enough to understand that there's Russian playing on the TV, but not enough to like convert it in my brain into English. Mm. And I was like, man, that's a cool little, like just little tiny little thing that like, I don't know if I've ever picked up on that before, but I was like, what, cause like what, what good are Russian subtitles? <laughs> like it does, I can't read it. You know what I mean? Um, so for him to like, and then it like slowly morphs over into English was like really, really cool. Did you have any notes about the Russian, like the Kremlin or like the hospital escape or anything like that that you wanted to talk about? Well, I did. I I think I have to request that we only refer to those men as the white Russians. The white Russians. Okay. <laughs> right? Just because I want to be right somehow. <laughs> we, can, we can handle it. Okay. The yeah. salty white Russians. Right. Yeah. And I actually have no idea what their names are. So I think the white Russians is very fitting. Yes. But, um, I will say that um, when he was trying to escape the hospital, and this is after he, you know, jumped off the ledge. Yes. Uh, they said the hot targets heading west. And all I kept thinking about is like, you know, if I ever had to pursue somebody, please do not say west. Like, I will not know where to go. He's headed west. Which way is that? Like, you know that they are real spies because they, they, know. they know their directions. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's so funny. That is accurate, though. And I think it's so fun. It's cool. Like, again, like, it's the smoothness and the coolness of how he switches over to the American tourist mm-hmm. um, get up when he's exiting the Kremlin. But he just grabs a jacket off of this, like, drying rack grabs these boots off of the table like he's assembling an outfit so that he'll blend in Mm -hmm. by just grabbing random stuff and i'm like man it just looks so like and nobody even like sees him do it yeah Yeah. like it's just seamless Mm. um he basically calls into his to the imf because he's like okay well i need an extraction like i'm stranded with literally no shoes (laughs) um in the middle of russia with some salty white Russians <laughs> chasing after me. Yes. Um, and so the director actually picks him up in, in like a, a limo or like a car. And uh, he was like, sir, I didn't know you were in, in Moscow. And he's like, well, I'm not. And his whole thing is like this, because there was an IMF team in the Kremlin when it exploded, it makes them look responsible. Even though Ethan knows I heard another team in there. It wasn't us, obviously. Like, they weren't there to blow it up. And the IMF uh, director is like, I know. And, but, like, we can't, like, we've disavowed, like, the entire IMF. We've initiated ghost Ghost protocol. protocol. I I got it right then. I was like, oh, my gosh, the government is ghosting these people. They're literally ghosting the entire IMF. Which, Um, I mean, that term, like, I don't think I learned what that was until, like, four or five years ago. I know. It was ahead of its time. Right. This movie. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which I love. Like, is there a word for that? Like, I feel like there's something. They call that something. Like, when you say the title in the movie. I feel like it's called something and I couldn't remember what it was called. You know what? Like in all of my years of teaching literature, I don't think I've stumbled across a term for that. But now I feel like I need to go find one. I know. I'm going to have to Google that later. Mm -hmm. But it's said twice. And just in case you missed it the first time, (laughs) like when they're in the train after that, he's like, the director has initiated ghost protocol. Oh, god! Like for all those people who were like chewing on their popcorn a little too loud and right. didn't hear it the first time. While he's in there, he meets Brant, who is mm-hmm. an analyst, Agent Brant, played by Jeremy Renner. Nighthawk. That's right. Hawkeye. <laughs> Hawkeye. Oh, my gosh. Nighthawk. <laughs> <laughs> These dang white Russians. Well, actually, no, I think one of my trivia things is that I think one of his um, 
call signs is Nighthawk. Oh, movie. really? So you might be right <laughs> as Hawkeye, far as that goes. Nighthawk is the generic like Kroger brand of Hawkeye. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I always get Hawkeye and Falcon confused and I feel justified in that, but also that I should definitely be able to figure that out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so he follows, he, he goes, he gets in the car, the director's in there, this analyst brand. This is one of my most hilarious moments of the movie because it makes zero sense where Ethan's like, do you have a pen? And he's like, hands him, he's like a pen. He hands him the pen. And in five seconds, he sketches a very detailed mm. drawing of a dude's face on the palm of his hand. And mm. I'm like, how on God's green earth were you able to do that in that span of time? He can do it all. He is Ethan Hunt, super spy. <laughs> he like holds at the palm of his hand and he's like, he's like, who is this guy? Like to this, I'm like, dude, what the heck? And Brant is actually able to be like, oh yeah, that's. that's yeah, he's like, <laughs> he's like 50s, 60s white russian (laughs) um and uh he like names the guy and they're like okay well while they're in the car basically they get shot at their Mm -hmm. car wrecks they get shot at the director gets killed can we just talk about how the music leading up to that moment was a dead giveaway oh yeah it was very ominous yeah well and there was like that whole speech where it's like oh i've just always respected you so much and i care for you so much and i trust you and it's like oh man he's gonna die like any second this is happening i could feel it yes <laughs> yeah because he basically like the director is like you could escape right. wink and overpower myself and agent brands and he basically like gives him everything he needs mm. to do the mission without the imf yes. and tells him where his team is tells him like all this stuff right before he gets shot like you said so it's like all this stuff where you're like yeah he's setting him up to die like this is <laughs> this is not good so they have to go to this the the safe house is a train car on a moving train uh, well they get shot at the car flips into the river there's a lot of crazy white salty white russians shooting <laughs> at this car and i actually thought it was a cool insight into their characters but while they're underwater Ethan gets this idea to light a flare mm-hmm. and shove it in the arm, the not the arm, the sleeve. <laughs> he does not shove it in his arm. That's weird. <laughs> shove it in the sleeve of one of the, the, I think it was the director who was already dead and basically like send his body like into the current of the river. So it looked like he was swimming away, but with the flare in his arm. So it would light him up. And of course all these salty white Russians, um, just start shooting at this body. They don't know that it's the dead guy. And as they're running to the train yard after that, like they get out of the river or whatever. And Brant's like, how did you know that would work? Like he's the analyst, right? So he's like thinking of it from like a logical perspective. He's like, how did you know that would work? It doesn't make any sense. Why would you shoot it? Why would a, why would somebody even light if you're trying to like disappear? Why would you light up a flare and then try and swim away? And he's like, they weren't thinking they were shooting. Yes. You know? And he's like, they're not, very smart no he's like they're not what he say? they're not road scholars like right, it's like yeah. he's like they're not he's like they were shooting and so i gave them something to shoot at um i think it speaks to the resourcefulness of ethan and how quickly he thinks in the moment like that like that's what makes him such a good spy is that he's not overthinking it right but he always has a solution right like there's always a way out and that's um, what we love in spies is that it's almost so unrealistic because I'm like, I've never met anybody that can think on their feet like that. But I also love that because I've never met anybody who can do that. Right. Yeah. So you probably don't know any spies. 
I mean, <laughs> I feel like I can't commit to that. I mean, do I not know any spies? Maybe are they, I do. Are they playing you in real life? Like, because they don't want you to suspect that they are a spy? I would legit not realize that there are spies that I'm best friends with. <laughs> I, so I don't have the intuition for that. It's so weird. They love traveling. They're always gone. Um, <laughs> They're always shooting at people. I know. Things. So bizarre. <laughs> um, that's hilarious. I do want to point out that the train car that they get on is car 47 and they say that. And if you've seen Alias, which you have, if you're at all a fan, mm. 47 is like the number of Alias. It's a prime number. <laughs> but it is like remember the whole Rambaldi mystery and alias was like that weird like renaissance science guy that called all this stuff and that that's the guy that's all the artifacts they're trying to get he has a fascination with the number 47 so I think it's not surprising it shows up twice in this movie the train mm. car is train car 47 and in the very last scene they meet at Pier 47. It oh. says it really big on the sign. And I was like, JJ's been involved in this. I can tell. <laughs> so they go to the train car. They meet up with the rest of the team. Well, by the rest of the team, it's literally Jane and uh, Benji. Benji. Yeah. And he basically tells them, like, the director is dead. And anything we do beyond this is considered treason. So if you want out, feel free. And like any good hero, none of them acquiesce. <laughs> and they're all like, we're in. And so basically they know that the nuclear codes are being sold at the Burj Khalifa. And I wrote down, this is, I need to go back and watch, because I haven't seen them enough, clearly, the Mission Impossible movies. <laughs> but I picked up on it this time. So in this movie, they're driving into Dubai so the Burj Khalifa is in mm -hmm. Dubai, which I brought when they show up in Dubai, the the opening like establishing shots and the music really reminded me of Aladdin because oh. it was like desert camels. Right. Music. Yes. And I was just like waiting for the opening sequence to Aladdin to start. Arabian Nights. Yes. <laughs> so good. Have you seen the live action one? I have. And it was I great. It was my favorite movie last year. Yeah. I loved it. So good. Yeah, it was. I mean, those live action remakes have been getting so much crap. That was a really good one. No, that was my favorite one that they've done. Total mm -hmm. sidebar, but it was my favorite one that they've done, <laughs> like by far. And Will Smith was great casting. I agree. He got so much crap for that. The thing is about that total sidebar, getting this one for free, folks. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot try to replicate Robin Williams. Mm -hmm. You have to cast someone who has their own brand of humor so that it doesn't look like they're trying to compete with Robin Williams. Love that. Because yes. you can't top Robin Williams as the genie. He's the best. Everybody was so appalled by the amount of CGI, and I was not bothered whatsoever by no, it. He's a blue genie. What <laughs> right. were you expecting? Yeah. Um, and it actually, like, the first trailer that came out, I will admit, was bad. <laughs> I was like, ugh. But by the time the movie came out, I actually was like, no, they did a good job with it. And I thought Will Smith crushed it. And I liked the changes they made, and I liked the casting. Um, total sidebar. <laughs> When they're driving into Dubai, mm -hmm. there's this exposition of the mission. So they're explaining what's happening. Mm -hmm. And then Brant goes, let me get this straight. You want to go to the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in the world, blah, 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 blah. And then he outlines the whole, what they're going to do. 
it's a sly or not so sly way to let the audience know the Burj Khalifa is the tallest building <laughs> in the world. If you don't know that, now you know. I didn't know that. I know. Mm-hmm. But it's also, to me, it happens in Fallout too, And it's Rebecca Ferguson plays Ilsa Faust. She pops up in five and is in six as well. And in Fallout, and they set up the last act of the movie, she goes, you, so you're telling me, and rehashes everything they just said to mm-hmm. dumb it down for the audience. Yes. And we so need that. We so <laughs> need that. Um, but I thought it was interesting to use, because not everybody does it well. Like the whole like. Rehashing. Just exposition in general. Yeah. Like explaining what's going on. And like that's mm-hmm. the big thing with the third one where everybody talks about JJ where it's like he never explains what's happening because you don't actually need to know. Which is fascinating. And you'll have to watch three and tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. But they never actually explain what they're getting on the that mission in the third one. Like it's like it's the rabbit's foot. What is it? I don't know. And it doesn't <laughs> matter. Like it literally doesn't matter. Oh, it's a MacGuffin. It's literally a MacGuffin. Yeah. And there's no explanation. So you lose a lot of that exposition of like what the mission is about, what we're trying to get, what does it do? Whereas like the second Mission Impossible, they are trying to stop a literal virus. So like it's a, it hits a little close to home. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's called Chimera. And they over explain what it does and like what the antidote is and blah 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 and they say it like four times and in the end it doesn't really matter you're right like we don't need to know like as the audience so i think it's interesting i think four and six do it six is a little complicated fall it's a little complicated this one's a little less complicated um because it's like nuclear codes bad we must get (laughs) like you know what i mean like it's not hard right um, but I thought it was interesting. It was the first time I picked up on that. We're like, I knew going into this movie because it was so talked about and heavily promoted, like the skyscraper stunt mm-hmm. that he did of like, he was, he does a stunt on the Burj Khalifa, it's the tallest building in the world. <laughs> and like, I didn't know that before that. Right. But if you didn't know that going into the movie, I thought that was a really interesting moment of them, like exposition, having a character who's supposed to be out of the loop rehash it for the audience like he's kind of like the jim halpert of the where he's like i'm the audience and i'm rehashing this for you so that you know Mm. but that leads us into the whole burj khalifa Mm. thing which is arguably the biggest scene in the movie and is the maybe in the franchise it may be in the franchise yeah you'll have to watch five and six and tell me what you think because they because for ghost protocol is literally the first it's all like they're all very stunt heavy but this is the first one where it's like Tom Cruise, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you're a crazy person. Like, right. why are you doing this? But you're also like, I have to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everyone, so the five and then six, like, he's done something that he feels, like, he's tried to top himself. Basically, from four, five, and six, from here on out, mm. there's a stunt in every movie where you're like, it's crazier and crazier. And I'm like, I don't even know. They're filming seven and eight. And I'm like, what is he going to do? Oh. Like, He'll die making one of these movies, probably. Like, that's going to be... But he'll die doing something he loves. Right. Um, but for those of you who haven't seen it, the Burj Khalifa is, yes, the tallest building in the world. And Ethan basically has to get to this server room from the outside. So he can't get to it from the inside of the building. So they have to cut the whole freaking window out of the side of this hotel. And then he has to, like, climb up the side of it with these little sticky gloves that, like, keep him stuck to the glass. <laughs> And I loved that, like, blue is glue, red is dead, um, which is a little bit of a callback. 
I wish they would would have used green because do you remember in the first Mission Impossible they have that um, the gum the piece of gum that he sticks together and he goes red light green light yes and he likes he pushes them together and it causes an explosion right mm. and that's kind of something that there's a I don't know if it, I don't think it's in three but in two the chimera the disease and the antidote are red and green oh. um and so i was like oh they could have made it green instead of blue and then it would have like fit the franchise you know it just would have been fun little like in joke <laughs> um but he says blue is glue red is dead and basically like you have to like peel your hand off and then like stick it and he climbs up all these windows and stuff and then in typical mission impossible fashion right. stuff starts not working right. <laughs> and everything about this mission goes wrong like everything they're supposed to do screws up the masks things do- doesn't work like their mask and they don't have the backup of the IMF. So that's like the big thing is like if something were to like screw up normally in a spy movie, you just call headquarters, mm-hmm. you know, and they help you out or like do whatever they need to do. And they don't have that. Everybody else has been disavowed. So they're on their own. So when stuff messes up, it's like, okay, well we're done. We can't, we got to move on without it. Like we don't have any, you know, we just like don't have the option, but the way they shoot, this sequence of him on the side of the building. So they shot it with IMAX cameras, which is nuts. But the opening shot, so he's like standing in the window so you can see forever in Dubai. And the camera comes up over top of him and like comes out of the window almost. And you can see all below him. You remember that shot? Yes. It's like the shot. (laughs) Um, And I specifically, I saw this in the IMAX theater at the levee. Oh, wow. With my parents. My mom is terrified of heights, like terrified. Mm. And she, I mean, you're literally like crawling up in your seat because it's, you're so close. Like the screen is huge and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm on the ledge of this building with him. I'm going to freaking fall off. (laughs) Like you're like freaking out. Definitely like worth the watch in IMAX, like that whole sequence, because there's a couple different shots there's one where he's like leaning up against the window and he's like cutting the circle out of like the server room window and it like comes up over top of him so you can see everything below him. It's a constant reminder. The way they shoot it is a constant reminder of how far up on the building he is. Yes. I wrote down literally this building. No, thanks. Because <laughs> I'm <laughs> <just> good. <laughs> thinking, yeah. Like I've been in tall buildings before and you know, there's been some where I've been like, Oh, I don't think I want to come up this high again. And they're like, I don't know, a quarter of the size of this building. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. like, I can't even, I literally thought that there's like, because the rest of the, the mission takes place in these like hotel rooms or whatever. And mm-hmm. I was like, do you feel the building swaying? I feel like you would. <laughs> like, I just kept thinking about that as we were watching it. So my biggest beef with this scene, and I do have a little bit of a beef, oh. is that are there not people in the hotel rooms <laughs> of the windows he's climbing on? They could have filmed maybe some pretty funny reaction shots. Yeah. Or yeah. like for me, are they not calling the front desk and being like, there's a <laughs> lunatic crawling on the outside of your building? Like mm. it seems implausible that nobody saw it. Right, from the outside or from the yes. inside. Yeah. Um, which, whatever, it's a movie, you gotta suspend right. reality. And yeah. honestly, this is the first time I've ever thought that. Like, every, because you're so caught up in the moment and the stress of it. Like, who's thinking about that? <laughs> Apparently, me on my 20th <laughs> I was watch about of this. It too. Of yeah. The scene where you're like, I'm like, is there somebody like in that room and he's just like climbing up these windows? So I was like, uh, I, I think some funny reaction shots would have been good. He get, ends up in the server room. He switches out the relay so that Benji can basically like the reason they got to get in there is so that they can control the elevators and um, the cameras. 
so that they can see when these people are going to meet. So Leia Sadu, Bond girl, <laughs> is meeting the salty white Russians <laughs> to trade the nuclear. She has the nuclear codes for diamonds. She gets paid in diamonds. Um, and so what they're doing, they're pulling the old switcheroo. So Jane, they basically like, I thought that was so cool. And they're going down the hallway and they're changing the numbers on the doors. Mm-hmm. They basically fake the, the, um, the, what is the word I'm thinking of? Um, oh my gosh. The meeting spots? Yes. What's it called? The level? Oh, right. Yeah. The, you the know, floor? the floor. <laughs> wow. No, I got you. I got you. <laughs> They fake the floor that they're on. I could not come up with that word. I was like, what is it? It's like, I don't you know. stand on it. Yeah. It's like the level. <laughs> um, they fake the floors. So they, f- they turn 119 into 118. And then they keep 119 or 118 where it is. Mm-hmm. And they basically do a flip. So Jane is posing as Bond Girl selling the nuclear codes to the real salty white Russians. And actual bond girl it ends up meeting with tom cruise and jeremy renner mm-hmm. who are f- pretending to be the salty white russians right um so they you know there's this rush because they got to get whenever they show up they have to be ready right mm-hmm. so they're, they're switching all these door handles things tom cruise ethan hunt cannot get back to the main area because his stupid gloves stopped working <laughs> so what does he do he ties himself to a giant rope that's in the server room and just takes off running Mm. flies out the window of the building is running down the side that to me is the craziest part like imagine filming that stunt like if you're hanging there that's different but to run face first towards the earth (laughs) down the side of a building is actually i think that's clinically insane for sure and then also to be like i would actually love to do this stunt myself you would do that? No. Oh. <laughs> like, it, I would be insane <laughs> yeah. in order to volunteer that, which is what Tom Cruise does. Like, he lives on Like, he thrives on it. Yeah. Like, this is, like, his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so he ends up, like, it's short, and he can't, like, get over to the... So he's, like, you know, seven windows over and 11 windows up, whatever. So he gets a certain amount on the way down, and he can't get over. So he just takes off running in the opposite direction and then just jumps using it as like a fulcrum mm-hmm. to like fling himself into the open window that is their room. And kind of doesn't hit the target directly. No, he bashes his head. My favorite line in the whole movie though is when he realizes it's too short and he looks over and oh. Jeremy Renner's character is like, your line's not long enough. And he's like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> like he just yells it. And I'm like, yeah, of course you're not helping Brant. Like you are so not helping. So he, he like, flings himself hit the top half of his body like hits the upper part of the window Mm. that wasn't cut out i felt that you can feel it you really can and then he falls in and then back out and jeremy renner grabs him as he's half hanging out the window and then jane grabs jeremy renner's pants and she's holding on to something in the room and you're just like oh the stress like (laughs) not to mention like all the stuff they're about to do so they finally reel him in, and my favorite, Benji walks in. He's like, whoo, that was not easy. And he's yeah. talking about him switching the door switching numbers on the, door number. <laughs> on the hallway. And it's uh. like Tom Cruise literally just ran down the side of the building and flung himself into an open window. This is crazy. Um, and then, uh, so then they, but then they have to get ready for the actual mission now at this point. Because the, the, the server 
was not part of the mission. This was all like a side thing. Mm. Um, and uh, they have to go. So they're doing their their whole big thing. There's some, you know, pretty cool spy craft, you know, of like <laughs> contacts that print papers and <laughs> fake arms. I love Benji's little fake arm where he like reaches in and grabs the <laughs> like the little blow up arm so he can like use his real arm. The whole like, time that so he actually was using that, though, I was like, that l- does look ridiculous. I know. It looks completely ridiculous. I'm no spy, but I feel like I would be like, what's up with your arm, man? Nobody pays attention to the help, Melissa. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I learned that in another movie. <laughs> I know. Um, but that's like Spycraft 101. Like, yeah. nobody pays attention to the help. Um, so Benji has comes in to deliver tea, but really he's switching out the diamonds. He's like the go-between to get the nuclear codes and the diamonds between the two rooms that they're, like, you know, faking everything out my favorite part of this whole scene is that when bond girl leia sadu gets the diamonds she literally just dumps a handful of loose diamonds into a giant purse (laughs) i was like what like she's just like hmm (laughs) i'll just fall into the purse and i'm like really you don't have like a container or a satchel like something um it's just like oh really crazy um Basically, what ends up happening is the first meeting gets done first. So, salty white Russian is getting away with the nuclear codes because they were supposed to give him fake nuclear codes. Mm -hmm. But then they realize when he's walking in that the scientists that created the nuclear warhead, they've brought him with him to verify the codes. And they're like, well, crap. Now we have to give him the real codes because otherwise our cover is going to be blown. So they switch the programming on the briefcase and the contacts to print off like the real nuclear codes. But they're like, don't worry, we have a tracing in the paper, so we'll be able to follow him. But it only works for a half a mile. All this stuff. So it just turns into this like crazy chaos thing where like he's like Ethan's chasing after the salty white Russians, but the first salty white Russian shot the scientist. Mm-hmm. So then Brant is tending to the scientist while Ethan is running after salty white Russian. Meanwhile, Bond girl is trying to escape <laughs> and Jane, who is out for blood because she killed her, her boyfriend. Yeah, is I like, get it. She's like, girl, <laughs> I'm going to get you. So then I just wrote girl fight there. They had a great girl fight. They did. But yeah. they, it was clear that they had never like the way they were like, I was like, okay, <laughs> so you're not like real. They are, but it's very like boxing. It wasn't like martial arts. Um, <laughs> But it's legit. And you can tell they did most of it themselves. Mm. That was the cool part where I was like, that's actually them. Like, you can tell the way they shot it. And I think Tom Cruise does that a lot in his movies where he inspires people to be like, no, I want to try it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because he's like out there doing it. And so it ends in her kicking Bond girl out the open window. Yeah, she had great restraint up until then. It's shocking. Yeah. And like you almost didn't. like, you're like, oh, yeah, it was like a little lapse. You know, it was enough to do major damage, but yeah. it was just a little lapse of restraint. You're like, I just like every, every time I see it and I know it's coming, I'm just like, it's like shocking. Like my, you just like sit there for a second and you're like, whoa, okay. That just happened. Yeah. Like, bye bong girl. <laughs> bye bye girl. See you. Which I mean, if we're going to say RIP to her, I have to say that the first thing I thought of when, when I saw her in this movie was that 
girl is so pretty. If I saw her walking down the street, I would immediately think like something's up, right? Because like, <laughs> I think we first you're encountered not her. Yeah. Like you can't be a real person in you're an alley. A, you're not a real person that does normal things. Right. Yeah. And she's, you know, rolling up to this hotel with yeah. a bunch of middle-aged Russian men. It's yeah. like, what are you really into? Like, this is not good. Yeah. You're not, something's going on. Yeah. But uh, RIP, she's not up to anything now. She's so. not. She's landed somewhere far down below whoo right um so then ethan's chasing salty white russian into what is a giant sandstorm we have to talk about the sandstorm okay what is what do you want to talk about with the sandstorm? well we mainly had to talk about it because i feel like if we were talking about this movie in my class i would be like all right guys what do we know about sandstorms because like in literature weather and geography can play a major role and in this movie plot wise and symbolically the sandstorm is huge do you so, explain uh, well <laughs> the whole time i'm like uh, like well first of all we see the sandstorm coming right yes so i see the sandstorm coming as yeah, like even when he's climbing on the building like, right they're all like what's that so you know in your mind you're like oh literally a storm's a coming yeah right so it's like you know that like the the time is against them and that like there's something foreboding coming for them and that I kind of predicted like once that sandstorm arrives is when it all like gets really bad right yeah but then you also think about the function of a sandstorm and about how like you can't see anything it's very overwhelming um, everything just kind of shuts down you can only see like what's right in front of you and that on a symbolic level is really important in this movie too because it's in this scene that he's like I don't know where this guy is I don't know where this guy is and then when he finally does find the guy he rips off his mask and turns out somebody else right it's the main guy it's yeah. the real guy they're after that they're trying to follow this guy to get to I wish I knew his name it was Hendrix some, oh is it what is it Hendrix when Winstrom oh, right. Wistrom and Hendrix <laughs> I kept wanting, what's his code name? I kept wanting to call him Cobra in the movie, but his code name is um, like it's something similar, not Cobra. Uh, it's whatever. Anyway, the main villain, Head right? Salty White Russian. Yes, yes. That's how I know him. Yes. Uh, yeah. So like <laughs> he rips off the mask and there's this moment of clarity and then bada bing, bada boom, sandstorm is done. Clarity, yes. both like you know, mentally and visually. Yeah, physically, yeah. Yeah, so I was like, man, that was, like, pretty smart to have a sandstorm, you know? Yeah, that's, like, legit. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how often sandstorms occur in um, that part of the world, probably pretty frequently, but it's, like, it was just very conveniently timed where it was, like, it's coming, it's coming, you better hurry up, you better hurry up, and then it's, like, as soon as we find out what we need to find out, then the sandstorm dissipates. Yeah, and it's, like, it's ba like basically like they don't catch the guy like he's in the wind like they don't like they're they are lost unless they get the guy now yes so symbolically it operates on just so many different levels both plot level and symbolically look i loved it i thought it was very smart look at you <laughs> she's so much smarter than me no um, no <laughs> i was like i like the overhead shot and the long <laughs> i like the sand <laughs> the sand was my favorite part <laughs> i mean it is cool it's a visually really cool thing to happen yeah, yeah. Uh, but when they first start chasing so before the sand even gets there they do this like really really aerial shot of them running and it's from above but the thing that you see running is their shadows so it's a long shadow being cast on the ground. Mm. And so you only see them like from the head down. And then what you actually see running is their shadows like beside them. And I was like, that's cool. 
I was like, that's just like a neat way to do that. Like you could right. have shown that any, any way. Um, but I thought that was really cool. And then I was like, oh my gosh, they were ahead of their time. COVID masks. <laughs> scarves they like they because it's a sandstorm they have to like literally right. cover their faces and stuff but they both pull scarves off of there and they create those like um neck masks that yes. like go around your and i was like man i know what that's like now i'm like i've <laughs> never before but now i know but yours is probably cuter than theirs it's well i don't know i look like a bank robber in mine to be oh, honest do you? with you it's black <laughs> like i'm like with my sunglasses on, i can't tell you how many times i've walked into an establishment and for some reason in my when i'm wearing the mask and I have my sunglasses on. Oh, yeah. It all feels like one thing. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be in a place for like three minutes and still have my sunglasses on. And then I'm like, <laughs> oh, sorry. Like, I'll be like talking to somebody. And I'm like, I'm not blind. Also, I'm not about to rob you. Like, it just feels like a whole big thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, so then they they figure out that. Um, how do they figure out to go to India with the guy? Oh, man, I can't recall. How the oh, nuclear the, codes they, got they there? They met back up with Bogdan. Oh yeah, Bogdan. Who is the <laughs> other the other white Russian? But he's not salty. He's just regular white. No, Russian. No, he's sweet actually. He's a sweet white <laughs> Russian uh, yeah. that was in prison at the beginning with Ethan, and he breaks him out when he escapes from prison. He go like intentionally goes back back mm-hmm. for Bogdan and brings him out. But he has a connection. Yes. So they end up in India at a really lavish party because it's not a spy movie unless there's women in pretty dresses and dudes in tuxedos. Um, and which I wrote in this movie, I was like, Tom Cruise wore a lot of suits with open button downs and no ties in this movie. Like that was like his look. Yeah. Like he did that a lot. Yeah. Um, and he's doing it at this party, but basically like Jane has to seduce this (laughs) super rich, the super rich Indian playboy, Mm. um, who, did you recognize him? No. Should I have? Have you seen Slumdog Millionaire? Yeah. Oh, he's the... Who wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> oh, golly. It's the same guy. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, it would have been a, It would have just been a couple years after Slumdog Millionaire oh, that he was in this. Heart. I was like, oh my gosh, it's the guy. He's super weird in this movie. Like really flirty, but like in a gross way. Oh, yeah. It's super Very weird. Very predatory. Yes. Um, but also, I was wondering, what on earth does an Indian playboy have an interest in nuclear arms for <laughs> like he seemed know. very interested in one thing yeah and it wasn't nuclear weapons. yeah and he gave him up like so easy like yeah, yeah yeah so she has to get him back in the bedroom obviously by uh themselves so that she can kind of work him over to get the nuclear codes mm-hmm. out of him but in the meantime brant is down in this which that's a call back to the first one where he lands Oh, right. I do remember that. Yes. So that was a callback. Jeremy Renner's character does that. Um, He's down in this like duct. He's got to put the nuclear codes in. Benji's like, they're all over the place, right? Bottom line is they get the nuclear codes. It's too late. The nuclear warhead has already been launched. So now they have to get the briefcase that launched the nuclear codes to stop it. So they take off in the most gaudy bmw i've ever seen in my entire life it was a prototype car that never even made it to like the (laughs) like the streets um they take off through the streets of india they get to this uh tv station facility um to try and stop the this is where head salty white russian has launched the codes (laughs) cobra Cobra. i've renamed it what is his actual code name i don't remember it's it starts with a c and i remember the whole time i kept thinking that it like resembled cobra and like i don't know like i'm just calling it cobra i don't even i i am he's cobra russian (laughs) but 
basically Ethan Hunt chases him into this like s- vertical circular parking garage, which ends up being like the main, the last set piece. And I was like, could you imagine like if your car was in there, like you found out, like it was the car he drove off the, like the thing, <laughs> like that would be so crazy. Well, the whole time during that scene, I just kept thinking about how, what was the line? It was like, <laughs> he's standing on the edge, um, salty white Russian. And he's like, uh, Ethan's like, I'm taking that briefcase. And then the, the, our head villain, you know, just kind of like falls off or whatever. And I'm thinking like, Ethan, just like climb down and get it. Like, we've seen what you can do. Like we saw you in the prison. Like, yeah. Cause like he was like flipping all around the floors yeah. in the prison. And I'm like, just go on down there and get it, Ethan. <laughs> yeah. And he just takes a car and drives it off the edge. And yeah. it. like, you're like, Oh my gosh. And he's pretty banged up at this point. Like yeah. they, they like, they really got him in this one. The script is not great in this movie. I will say it's okay. <laughs> I know it's like, it's okay. It's not amazing. Yeah. Um, but because he gets to the bottom, he opens up the suitcase with the launch codes and he's like, mission accomplished. And he hits the button and you're like, really? <laughs> like, that's what you're going to say. But I love it. Cause in the next scene when mm-hmm. he meets up. So Luther, did you, did you recognize Luther? Only vaguely, more of just like, what do I know that guy from? So he's in the first Mission Impossible. He's like the main guy with Ethan. He's in every Mission Impossible movie. Okay. I remember he alluded to spending some time at the San Francisco Bay. Yes. Okay. So he's, this is the one movie that he is in the least. He is like prominently showcased in every other Mission Impossible except this one. And I'm pretty sure they just put him in the last scene so that they could be like, and Luther was in it. So he's been in all, so he... Um, he, Ving Rhames and Tom Cruise are the only two actors that have been in every single Mission Impossible movie. So he's got Luther. So, and Luther kind of gets like the personal side of Ethan because he's kind of been there the whole time, right? Mm. Um, but I love because he calls out how cheesy it is because mm-hmm. Ethan's like, I said mission accomplished. He's like, you actually said it? Like, he was <laughs> like, that is so cheesy, man. And I'm like, okay, so at least they like acknowledge that it was kind of dumb. Um, but yeah, they... I think that when he gets to the bottom, like he st- obviously stops the nuclear warhead because it's a Mission Impossible and it's Ethan Hunt. Um, but the guy, the guy who grabbed the head, salty white Russian, <laughs> falls into the the bottom of the thing with the briefcase. Like I'm going down, which I was like, that's the dumbest thing because, like you said, he could just get down there and like, stop it. He c- he clearly has the acrobatics to yeah. just get down there. <laughs> so he's like, he's like, I'm just gonna fall to the bottom, and then like he opened, but you're like, he's surely he's dead. You watched him hit the ground. And he opens the the briefcase to stop the coat. And he, like, wakes up. And I'm like, how is he still alive? I actually wrote that. I was like, how is he still alive? Because yeah. you're like, how would you survive that fall? Like, that's insane. Um, but it's, it is it is a big movie. Like, all of the set pieces are, like, pretty, pretty big. Um, and then they wrap up. They give a little bit of closure to the storyline with his wife. So I don't oh, know if yeah. you picked up that on the end. Um, and there's this whole underlying thing with Brant where he's like figures out because the cover story is that Ethan Hunt's wife died while they were on a mission. And Brant was like, I was there. I was the agent that was responsible for watching his wife. And I basically like totally botched it. And you find out that it was all a cover so that she could be safe. So what you finally figure out because there's such an emphasis put on his wife in the third movie and then to start the fourth movie and be like yeah but where's julia like it's so weird like that she's just not in the movie and you basically figure out that ethan like 
to keep her safe basically has to like i can't live the double life Mm -hmm. so he like basically gives up gives her up so that she can live safely and have a normal life and blah 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 um and so they had kind of have that closure and um they don't bring her up in the fifth movie at all oh but the sixth movie she plays a huge part and it was interesting not to like spoil anything (laughs) because you should definitely watch them but in the sixth movie tom cruise actually came out and said like i would run into fans on the street and they're like but what happened to julia and he was like, oh, I kind of felt like we wrapped up that storyline. And they're like, what? No. So they do more with that storyline in the sixth one. Um, but it was interesting because I think they were kind of done with like that character. Mm. And I think a lot of fans were like, what? No, we love Julia. Like, why did you, you know, why didn't you bring her back? And so there's a lot of stuff that happened. She's like not even mentioned in the fifth movie. Wow. Um, and so it is, it's super, super interesting. But I'm glad they kind of brought her back at the end of this. I love Michelle Monaghan. That's who plays her. You saw her at the end. Um, but yeah. Did you have any other notes about anything? I have some trivia once we're done chatting <laughs> well, about it. Well, you know I love trivia. I know. <laughs> I was like, ah, this is, I feel almost inferior. Like, I feel like, can I even speak to trivia? Uh, no. I mean, between Bobcat and Cobra, I think I was like, <laughs> what would my code name be? Ooh, what would your code name I be? I never figured it out. So you, maybe you'll have to like name me one day. <laughs> It'll be Ooh, very I'll have to think about ceremonious that. thing. I mean, have I you ever thought about what your spy code name would be? No, I should have though. It feels like after all the alias that i watched i should <laughs> right. know what my alias would be um no i haven't marinate on it marinate then, yeah. yes we'll have to text each other later <laughs> with the code names we've chosen for each other not bobcat though because I, I just bobcat. yeah <laughs> um okay so some trivia about this movie some of which i've already hit on uh tom cruise performed the sequence on the outside of the burj khalifa tower himself we've already talked about that but the burj khalifa is the tallest building in the world at 2722 feet Cruise dangled outside the tower at approximately 1,700 feet. Mm-hmm. That is so high in the air. So there was still another 1,000 feet yes, above him. Yes, above him. <laughs> he did take a picture, though. When they were filming that scene, they were promoting the movie. He posted on social media um, a picture of him sitting on the very, very top of the Burj Khalifa. You know, it gets really skinny at the yeah, top. Yeah, yeah. He's sitting on the top of it. <gasps> And they like took a picture and you can see him like sitting on top. He's like smiling at the camera or whatever. And it was like Tom Cruise scales the tallest building in the world. Oh, <laughs> like, my oh my gosh. gosh. Um, just crazy. Um, the actor that hands Ethan the black mask to place over his head to meet the arms dealer appeared in the original Mission Impossible, giving him the same style mask when he was being taken to meet Max. So that's a fun little callback. So they use the same actors, not the same character or whatever, but they use the same actor to do that. I was like, that's kind of a fun little fact. So Jeremy Renner was actually offered the role of Jackson Lamb in Super 8. Did you ever see the movie Super 8? Yes. Okay, so it eventually went to Kyle Chandler. Yes. But it was offered to Jeremy Renner, and um, it ended up not working out. Um, and is that Spielberg? It was JJ. Well, it was J. I, I yes. had it narrowed down. Yes. Very Spielberg-esque. Yeah. Um, but he took the role of Brant when JJ Abrams told him that um, Tom Cruise and Brad Bird were interested in him. So he ended up taking this role instead. Okay. Um, instead of going into Super 8. The, the windows removed from the Burj Khalifa were carefully chipped away by two workers with hammers. <laughs> working from a window watching platform outside the building but they did act because it's real so they had to remove the windows 
And I'm like, and it's not obviously how they did it in the movie. So it's like, I just think that's hilarious that somebody else there was like, chink, 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 chink. Like just like chinking away at this window. Like how much money would you have to be paid to be a window washer on the side of that building? Cause oh I just, I feel like that would be a very lucrative job. That would be like, you'd have to be a thrill seeker. That's like an actual thrill seeking job. Window washing the, the Burj Khalifa. That's a good point. <laughs> this is interesting to me. So Dermot Mulroney, you know who that is. Yeah. The actor. He plays, he's a professional cellist. He plays the cello. Huh. Did you know this? No. <laughs> he plays the cello in the scoring orchestra for this movie. Oh, really? How random is that? Oh. I, that was like one of my favorite little fun facts. I was like, who to thunk? Huh. Um, I know. It's Dermot so crazy. Should, be, should get a little highlight in this movie. Like, I know, I'll right? Like, a, like in the, like the credits, it's yeah. like, oh, he could have had a cameo. That would have yeah, been fun. Yeah, like do a little close up of his face. As of course, you know, they cello. record the scores so much at, longer after they filmed the movie. So maybe he signed on after the fact, but they could have done a little insert. That would have been yeah. fun. Um, so the high quality screen hologram projector gadget used, the one you love in the Kremlin yes. to conceal anyone behind it. The one that um, the government should totally take if it hasn't already. I'm sure they have something. <laughs> right. Um, it was similarly used during the television series. Did you know that Mission Impossible was a TV series in the sixties? Yes. Okay. So there was an episode in the TV series that used something similar to that. So that was kind of a callback to the Aww. TV series, which I thought was cool. Um, the code Ethan uses at the payphone to get his latest mission is actually Tom Cruise's birthday. So it's 07362. So he's born on July 3rd, 1962. Mm. That's a fun little Easter egg. This is int- the Burj Khalifa Hotel mentioned in the movie is the Armani Hotel Dubai. The first hotel designed and developed by Giorgio Armani. Oh. And I didn't know he designed a hotel. He does mm. clothes <laughs> and per- hotels, perfumes, colognes, and hotels. Oh. Um, so 25 minutes of the film was shot in IMAX 70 millimeter. It's that whole sequence on the side of the building. I, this is my favorite fact about this movie. It is the only film in the franchise where the opening credits involving the lighting of the fuse is actually part of the opening sequence. So he goes, he says, go ahead and light it. And he lights the fuse and that sends us into the opening credits. It's like a physical lighting of a fuse. That's the first, that's the only time in the franchise that that happens. I thought that was really cool. Let's see here. So the sandstorm scene, your favorite, (laughs) um, was shot in open matte super 35 millimeter rather than IMAX due to the fact that blowing sand would actually be invisible on film um, because of motion blur. So you can't see it, right? So appearing, it it like appears only as a red fog. So you can kind of see that in the film a little bit. Um, the enlarged grain of the 35 millimeter film when blown up to IMAX looked like sand. So most of what you're seeing as sand is literally just the film that they use it on blown up to make it like grainy. Wow. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) I thought that was interesting. Oh, it's um, hard work being a cinematographer. I know, right? Things the, you have to think of. All the things you must consider. Where I'm like, oh, like let's just wait for a sandstorm to happen. <laughs> Guys, we'll just film it in a real sandstorm. <laughs> um, Anthony Mackie, who is Falcon, <laughs> right. who we've already discussed not, in this not podcast. Hawk. <laughs> yeah, Hawkeye. <laughs> um, Kevin Zekers, who is the kid from Airbud. <laughs> Okay, you're gonna have to work with me on that one. <laughs> Do you know Airbud? Well, yeah, yeah. Okay, but I, but when I think it's of Airbud, it's think... him grown up. Wow, it's that kid, um, Chris Pine. Okay, I got him. And Tom Hardy. Yes, were all considered to play the role of Brant. 
And I think Chris Pine and Tom Hardy, Anthony Mackie would have been great too. I haven't seen Kevin Zegers in anything since Airbud. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't really speak to that. What if, what's the dog up to these days? I know. What's 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 Airbud doing? <laughs> Was he considered for the role? <laughs> I thought that would be interesting. Like, could you imagine like Tom Hardy or Chris Pine in that? They're pretty, I would be happy with any of those. They're pretty big names. Yeah, they're all they're all like more superstars than supporting men. It's weird because I think like Jeremy Renner, he's in the Hurt Locker, right? Mm-hmm. This Hurt Locker didn't come out to 2010, maybe? Yeah, like I think it came out the year before this. So he was still kind of like not an unknown, but like... Right. He wasn't like a Marvel character, you know, like I feel like he's a lot more well-known. And like, he was very average before he got yeah. into Hollywood. And Avengers was 2012. So he would have, that would have been his first like Marvel movie. So he kind of hit it big after 2012. But this movie was originally targeted for a mid-May 2011 release with J.J. Abrams to direct. However, pre-production delays and script rewrites delayed the film um, because J.J. Abrams was busy working on Super 8. So I think this one came out in November of 2011, mm. which is weird because they've typically been released as summer movies. Summer blockbusters. Yeah. yeah. But it's also like one of the highest grossing. So like maybe they figured it out. Mm. You know what I mean? Brad Bird was selected because of his work on The Incredibles, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> Michael Giacchino, uh, who did Alias and Lost. He's a big J.J. Abrams collaborator. Uh, Michael Giacchino, the film's composer, also previously worked with Brad Bird on In- The Incredibles and Ratatouille. So he actually, he scored three movies with Brad Bird, two of which were animated. This is the first film in the series to be released in IMAX. And my gosh, I'm telling you, it was an experience. Huh. Um, and fun fact, Michael Giacchino is the first composer to score more than one movie in the franchise. So he did Mission Impossible 3 and 4. Um, which is interesting because uh, the, the franchise as a whole, for the most part, up through five, there was a different director for each movie. They all kind of have their own look and feel to them. Um, and the last four are all going to have the same director, Christopher McQuarrie. So he did five, six. He's doing seven and eight. Um, but he still picked two different composers for his two movies that he did. Um, so I think that's interesting. He kind of like, you know how... um. Tim Burton always uses like Helena Bonham Carter and right. like Johnny Depp, you know, like they, they have these like director mm-hmm. actor, They're you pals. know, collaborations. Mm-hmm. Um, Christopher McQuarrie has kind of turned into that for Tom Cruise. He's done a lot of Tom Cruise movies like as of late. And so they work really, really well together. Um, and some of his better stuff that he's done in his later years, Christopher McQuarrie had a hand in. Um, so he actually, Christopher McQuarrie wrote part of uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Like he was involved in that um, as well. I loved this because it was a callback to high school, but the class ring that Trevor Hannaway, which is Josh Holloway's character, <laughs> um, uses to tranquilize the courier is a Jostens Magnum class ring with a sapphire stone. Did you have a Jostens class ring in high <laughs> Heck school? Heck no. You didn't? <laughs> no. Did you? I did. And you know what? My parents are going to kill me. Well, they know. I never wore it. Right. I <laughs> had it and I never wore it. Oh, man. And I didn't even get my birthstone. I just got one that I thought looked cool. I was like, no <laughs> way. Yeah, I didn't even get Because sapphire is my birthstone and I don't like sapphires. Right. <laughs> so I think I picked August's birthstone. That's so funny. I don't know. It was light green. I was like, I kind of like that one better. Honestly, I don't know what happened to that. As a current high school teacher, and yes, Jostens is still pushing their high school class ranks. Is it really? Yes. I can honestly <laughs> say, I, I think I've only ever seen like one or two kids 
ever sport i feel like it was like a big deal i think it was a really big deal in like the 80s like the right yeah, like yeah. and then it's kind of waned but i felt like mm-hmm. a lot of people in my class got them so i felt i feel like there was like pressure to get it right yeah um <laughs> no pressure no, no pressure. pressure anymore <laughs> um during the indian palace scene brant's code name is apollo mm. apollo was the greek god of archery renner oh. al- renner also plays hawkeye in the marvel cinematic universe Mm. but he would have been in this before he was in that which i think is interesting ethan uses the call sign alpha 113 and a113 appears on hannaway's ring um a113 is a frequent in joke and easter egg yes for pixar movies did you know this yes it was the room where they like studied in college yes Yes. the cal institute of the arts that is so funny i wonder well i mean mr incredible i mean like is that was that on purpose or was that yeah oh yeah wow i know so it's like an easter egg they put in like all these like pixar movies but i love that it transferred over into the live action mission impossible movie that has nothing to do with that i wouldn't have looked for it (laughs) yeah i know yeah this is what I think is most interesting about this movie. So Jeremy Renner's character, Brant, was specifically created as the eventual replacement for Tom Cruise. Did you sense that at all? Ooh, no. I mean, I definitely got the, like, he, it, <laughs> I think I wrote down, like, when, when we first met him, I was like, oh, he's a young pup. Like, he, yeah. he seems very unsure of himself. You definitely got the vibe that Tom Cruise's character was a mentor to him. And you got the vibe that, like, he kind of came of age throughout the movie. But in terms of replacing Ethan Hunt... They kind of... Well, you can't replace Tom Cruise. It's like... Yeah. To think that you could is insane. Right. Um, it's They do set it up where he's like, I'm like the nerdy analyst that they can't do action. And then all of a sudden they realize, like, no, you're an agent, dude. Like, because he right. takes up some people down. And it's like, what are you hiding? Mm. Like, they don't trust him. You know what I mean? Um, and so I think they were like, kind of like, oh, there's more to his character than they're letting on. And mm. like, kind of like maybe exploring that in the one after this, mm. um, funnily enough of the two between him and Simon Pegg, he's the one that doesn't make it through the, he's in the fifth movie. He's not in the sixth one, but Simon Pegg makes it all the way through. But I think, I th- you know what I probably think is that Paramount was like, Tom Cruise is aging. <laughs> we need to find a replacement if we want to continue this franchise but then Tom Cruise did the Burj Khalifa thing. And I think he was like, no, nope, I'm not going anywhere. Cause I like this. Mm-hmm. And like every movie since then has been like him topping himself with the stunts, like almost proving like, I'm not too old for this. Right. You know what I mean? He's like getting up there. Yeah. And he keeps hurting himself on movies. And that's why I'm like, Oh, it's going to happen where he can't like do it anymore. Cause he's like severely injured himself or something. Ugh. Cause he like the sixth one, he broke his ankle mm-hmm. doing a pretty like basic stunt for him. <laughs> basic in quotes. <laughs> right. It'd be crazy for the normal person, but he's like running and jumping from one rooftop to another. And he just caught his foot the wrong way <gasps> when he like landed on the other, on the other rooftop. And it's actually a, that scene in ended up like that take ended up in the movie because they had to stop filming. And he was like, well, we're not. Cause it's so crazy too. Is he produces all these movies. So he knows he's like, well, we're not coming back. So I got to finish the sequence. So he literally like pulls himself up on the roof and like hobbles off camera. Oh, gosh. And, um, but it shut down production for eight weeks because he couldn't film because mm. he broke his ankle. Um, and so I'm like that kind of stuff. I'm like, that's going to keep happening as he like gets older. But I do feel like there's like a part of him, like, cause this is an interesting, um, 2011. So 20, 2005, was the couch jumping incident. Oh, on <laughs> right. So from t- 2006 
to probably 2011. I think this was the first movie that kind of pulled people out of the Tom Cruise's a wackadoo right. thing where it's like, oh man, but he's such a, like, I honestly feel like there was a big part when they were discussing this movie that the spectacle of the Burj Khalifa stunt was purely to pull the talking points away from how crazy Tom Cruise was as a person to how crazy he is as, as an, an actor. actor. Yeah. Like, I feel like that was a very calculated PR move. Yeah. Um, the bonus being that he just likes doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I do because it had been five years since that all had happened. And I think they were like, uh, he went through a slump in his career. Like he churned out some good movies during that time, but nobody went to see them. Um, so something had to kind of like pull him out of that. And I think that literally, I think probably the only way the studio like agreed to do another mission impossible because mission impossible three is arguably one of the better ones in the series, but it's the one that's made the least amount of money at the box office. Huh? And it just had the unfortunate, you know, just the fact that it was eight months after the whole, like, Scientology, weird, couch jumping, like, whatever. People just, like, were really turned off by Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think, like, this is, like, five years of, like, to some degree, like, Tom Cruise laying a little low and then coming back and being like, you think I'm crazy? Watch this. (laughs) And being, like, taking the talking points away from him being this, like, crazy person in real life to more of like look at how dedicated i am to my craft and i think that he's always been that way but it to me it's the only these three mission impossibles leading up to this are very stunt heavy there are definitely stunts in them but it's not about the stunts and in this one it's like what crazy thing can i do next like it is very constant yes it's a lot but I think that was calculated and I think it was on purpose. And I think that that was probably the pitch to the studio was like, let's do ghost protocol and I'll do crazy stunts. And then that will be what everybody talks about. But it really <laughs> did kind of like, this was kind of like the first like upswing for like the rest of his, like what we know of Tom Cruise now. And I think this was like the first movie in the like trajectory of like Tom Cruise the action star like he's been in action stuff before this he's in mission impossible he's got like top gun like all this stuff but this is when people like this is the movie that people were like he does his own stunts yes you know what i mean like and that's where that whole narrative got started um was this movie and it's only it's almost like lore like it's been built on do you know what i mean like and it's kind of crazy there's a line in um mission impossible rogue nation the fifth one where there's like a little scene where he's like meeting he's like you know spy talk with this like chick of like all these like code phrases and stuff to like get the mission and she says um she goes i've heard stories are they true are they all true (laughs) and he kind of just like smiles back at her and like doesn't respond and like that's tom cruise like is it really true you did all of your own stunts? Like, is it true that, like, it's all this, like, crazy lore about who he is as, like, an actor and this, like... But that only started after this movie. Because, like, you could tell he does it in other movies, but nobody was asking, like, in... And, like, in Top Gun, he wasn't flying the planes. (laughs) Right. But in Top Gun 2, he is flying the planes. Like, you can tell. They filmed it in such a way to, like, show that it's him. And I'm like, 
what are you proving, man? But it's him like really being dedicated to the craft of like, I think he really, he's started to hone in on like what it means to be an action star and how to film an action movie. That's thrilling. And not just like, well, that was cool. It's like, no, that is Tom Cruise on the side of that building doing that. That is him running face first on the Burj Khalifa towards the earth. And there's no denying it because of how they film it. Um, so I think there's like this really interesting. So you think about that in that mindset that they were like, okay, but we'll cast this guy as your replacement and who he's come after this. Like, I think is almost like, like he probably, that was probably the only way the studio agreed to do the movie was setting up a replacement for Tom Cruise. And I think he was kind of like, yeah, 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 that's cool. I'll show you. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. I think he almost took it as a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jeremy Renner went on to be Hawkeye. So he didn't like, you know, it was fine. He was fine. He's a Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. Um, so he he ended up on his feet. But um, I just thought that was a really interesting, like, I think there was like, it's kind of like that chip on your shoulder. You know, like it almost like pushed him like a little bit further of like, oh, you're casting my younger replacement. Well, watch this. Mm. And every Mission Impossible he's done after that has been like, nobody else will do this. Like the fifth one, Rogue Nation, he like straps himself to the side of a plane. Like it's, (laughs) it's insanity. Like you're like, what is happening? Um, And then again, this is the, the, the last bit of trivia I have is it's the only film in the entire franchise where Luther isn't part of the mission. So he's in the movie, but he's just in that little last scene. Right. But every other movie, he's like part of the mission. Um, so, yeah. That's it. Did you enjoy it? Oh, I loved it. So do you, are you going to go and watch the rest of them? Yeah, I really am. Okay. It's weird, though, because now I'm kind of like, well, I've seen the first one. <laughs> the what fourth order one. do I go in from here? Because okay. the most immediate need that I have is maybe to visit the third. I mean, realistically, I probably should do them all in order, but... How much do you remember about the first one? Uh, a decent amount. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Two is a little bit of a letdown. So I wouldn't say do go there. Yeah. I would say watch three. Okay. Then watch five and six. Mm. And then when you're primed and ready for an awful movie from the year 2000, pop in Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> I mean, it's a long quarantine. So <laughs> I'll probably like get through all those in like a month. I don't know. <laughs> so do you watch like in your cinema class, like do you guys watch movies in there? Yeah. And actually it was funny because when I first saw the original Mission Impossible, I was so impressed. I really liked it. I thought it showed all of the, the action movie tropes that I was trying to like get people to pick up on. And so I did show it to one class. I will say that <laughs> this generation did not appreciate the, what is it, 96 Mission Impossible? It's the most cerebral of the Mission Impossible. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, it's great. But it's not like super action packed. Like there's yeah. a lot of like, there's a lot of spy craft in the first one of like twists and turns and like cleverness and right. all that stuff. It's not like super, there are scenes in it, but it's not super, super action heavy. Um, I teach a generation that is just like, they are spoiled with the amount of action that they get to absorb and like even a typical movie. Yeah. Like not even necessarily an action film, but like sometimes like an action comedy has way better stunts than like, you know, a 1996 action film. So you should watch, definitely watch fallout. That's the last one. Mm. You might change your mind and show that to your cinema class Mm. this semester. It is so good i'll take you up on it it's like a lesson in action movies like you it is 
most people have said like it might be the best action movie of all time okay like okay. it's it's like legit the stunts that they do and how they film it it's so so good so you'll have to watch them there's also a scene in rogue nation basically just text me when you watch these movies <laughs> and then i'll be like what did you think about this scene um there's a scene in rogue nation that i think would be fascinating to study from a cinema class perspective because it's it takes place in an opera during an opera and there's a lot of moving parts and the way they film it and edit it and stage it you're never confused about who is where and what action is taking place and it could be the most horrific horrendous editing job of all time like you could be like what where who is that what's going on and the way they it's so smooth and it and it um weaves in with the the music from the opera Oh, I love that. I love when they do that. It's so good. That is why mm -hmm. Rogue Nation was built just for me. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a whole sequence in Casablanca, which by the poster over on my wall over there. I do love Casablanca. Um, and it's very obvious that it's a reference to the movie. Because Rebecca Ferguson actually looks very similar to Ingrid Bergman. And fun fact, they're from the same place in Sweden. <laughs> um, so maybe they're like distantly related. Who can say? Mm. Um, but, and her name is Ilsa. Ooh. Which is obviously Ingrid Bergman's character's name. Right. That's a whole other thing. Rogue Nation's a whole other movie. I really am so glad you came on the podcast. Thank you for having Watch me. Watch the other Mission Impossibles. Reach out to me. Let me know. Oh, I will what you think i'm sure justin will be happy now that you want to watch them he will yeah and i never didn't want to watch them but it was always just kind of like man like there's like so many movies in that franchise it seems like a lot of work I've i know but one. now you now you've seen two of them yeah and i do feel a little bit more confident that i can just kind of like pick them up independently yes 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 you absolutely could yeah all right well thanks for coming on the on the show and um, until next time, mission accomplished. Mission. <laughs> yeah. As he hits the thing, mission accomplished. <laughs>